89.9 The Light. You're in conversation with Clayton and it is wonderful, especially as we're just a, a couple of days away from Remembrance Day to be able to have a chat by Zoom. So you might hear some dings and all sorts of things happening on our computers as we have a chat to Sue Smithers. She is the author of The Freedom Circus and she joins us now. G'day, Sue. Hi, Clayton. Good to be with you. It is fantastic to have you on board as well. And when I heard this story that you have now put into a book, I was fascinated and captivated by this. Um, it, it does have a relevance to Remembrance Day as we remember those who have gone through war uh, throughout the world and, and those who have served us in various ways. But for you, it's got a, a, a sort of a family connection. It's got an incredible story as well. Tell us a bit of the, the, the top line overview here, and then we're going to dig into the story a bit more. So essentially this story, um, this is the story of my husband's grandparents and how they survived the Holocaust. And my husband's um, grandfather was a, a quite famous Polish clown in the circus in Warsaw. And when war came, of course, life, um, life's role as a clown um, that he performed for the Nazis. Um, they did not know that he was a Jew. But uh, he, while ever he made them laugh, he lived. And their story, they managed to escape uh, Warsaw escaped the war and eventually the short, this is a very short version, yeah. um, came, came to Australia and made a life here where he went on to become one of the first clowns on television on the Channel 9 tariff strike. And um, they basically never spoke about it again. Once they arrived in Australia, their attitude was the past is the past. We need to move on with our lives. So no one ever really knew what, um, what they'd endured or how they had survived. It's just remarkable. Let's get uh, stuck into this story, uh, perhaps at the start there. Can you tell us a bit of what, what did actually occur to, to find, uh, I suppose, first of all, uh, himself in this place of, hey, going, look, being a clown's actually my career uh, as I go forward. Was this always a part of the natural family sort of idea of entertainment and these sorts of things? No. So my husband's grandfather, Kubush, grew up in, um, in a very big, big family, but very poor family in Lvov, um, which um, is in the middle of Europe, in Poland, or was in Poland. And uh, the, the circus came to town. He saw an opportunity. He was only young, 14, 15. Um, they needed someone to muck out the, the, the stables, the cages for the lions. And uh, he thought that was a fantastic job. So he took it on and ended up getting himself a position with the circus and followed them around and then went on to train as a clown. He, he found his natural place and he was a born entertainer. It was absolutely his home and um, went on to have a really successful career in this very, very big circus. The circus Stanievsky that he performed in was one of the most famous circuses of Europe and enormous um, household name in Poland prior to the war. Wow. And so what age was he when, you know, he started actually saying, look, look I'm actually performing as, as the clown now? Oh, pretty much from day one, I think. Wow. I mean, you know, he uh, we have found very, very early photos of him when he looks so very young learning how to perform. This was a, this this came out in, in the research that I did. We didn't have these family photos, but I travelled to Poland last year after we sort of got to the end of what, what the research was. We wanted to follow the family footsteps and we, we went to the Polish National Circus Archive, which is an amazing place, and found all of these photos um, in big boxes everywhere and among them in, in dusty old albums we found these photos of my husband's pop um, and he was very young so this was I guess this was his destiny absolutely yeah so here he is he's performing as a clown and, and life is life what it is he's discovered this is his moment this is what he does and uh, obviously we we know through 
uh, through the various times as the lead up to, to war that uh, Poland was, you know, one of those first countries that was really seriously in jeopardy as we went through. Take us through what, what you've got and the best understanding of what life was like for him then and, and then what was to, to occur. How, how did he sort of transition as uh, before war actually broke out and then he was captured? Well, what happened, he um, he performed, so he performed in what, what was the travelling part of the circus. So this circus literally travelled all around um, Poland and they were very, very successful and, and they were very popular because life was quite difficult at that time for a lot of people in, in the middle of Europe, um, particularly Jewish families, food was scarce, life was quite difficult, but he met the love of his life, which is um, our grandmother-in-law, my grandmother-in-law, um, Midler, and they had a baby. He was travelling and she stayed in Warsaw with her family with the baby and um, life was just kind of bubbling along okay. But, of course, the threat of war was looming, was always looming in the background. And, and then um, Germany, the, the Germans, the Nazis invaded Poland and captured essentially Warsaw and that was it. Their life was forever changed. He was actually travelling at that time. He was away in a place called Bialystok, which, is, um, which became Russian, became part of the Russian territory. And she was stuck in Warsaw, so they were divided. Um, and as time went on, they decided that it, they needed to, they wanted to be together. She wanted to find him. He wanted to find her and they wanted to be re reunited. But their paths um, unfortunately crossed in the wrong way. They missed one another. He ended up back in Warsaw and she ended up in Bialystok. And she was placed in a, in a Russian prison accused oh. of being a spy. So they've had, um, they had these sliding doors moments throughout their journey Eventually, he found where she was and they were reunited and they fled together to Moscow, um, where they started essentially a new life um, as, and as a clown for Stalin, of all things. <laughs> so he, he escaped um, Hitler and found, fled into the arms of Stalin. Just remarkable. Um, as we go through this part, uh, you, you said, so, so, you know, still performing and, and still doing that. Take us through a bit of what life was like then. Well, life for them was um, pretty terrible, to be perfectly honest. So when the, when war broke out, the circus essentially came to an end and disbanded. But what they worked out, the circus owners were remarkable people and they worked out a way that they essentially bribed um, the, the local, the Nazis who were looking after Warsaw, they essentially bribed them to be able to continue running the circus. And in doing so, they kept their people alive. So there, were, there was money exchanged to people in high places to be able to continue running the circus, which was quite elegant and glamorous and uh, it was run for the pleasure of the Nazis and for some Polish people as well. Uh, but most of the circus troupe were Jews. So they were essentially hiding in plain sight in front of the Nazis, performing for them, making them laugh, entertaining them night after night after night. And in doing so, we're actually staying alive. Yeah. Was there, from your research, was there much um, uh, sort of living in constant fear by being hidden in plain sight or was it? Oh, absolutely. It was. It, so absolutely. It, it was this any moment we could be just discovered and, and taken away. Absolutely. They were absolutely terrified. I mean, the conditions were really terrible. Food was very scarce. The ghetto was being built at that time. So they, they knew that, that time was running out, they, um, you know, their, their lives were extremely difficult. Lives for the Jewish people were extremely difficult and they lived in fear. It was a dreadful situation. People were randomly taken off the streets 
almost on a daily basis. Um, they had very, very little food. Um, in one of the, the first winter of the war, uh, it was minus 40 odd degrees and six foot snow around and people had, they had no fuel, they had no food. So they could, their living, their very basic living conditions were absolutely appalling. Uh, so to be able to reinvigorate or to bring a circus to life again under those circumstances was really something else and through that they were able to feed a large number of people um keep them housed and employed and and and, and hide in plain sight remarkable um as they got to russia um was it similar experiences that hey at any moment things could go wrong here was there uh, even a, a slight level of perhaps um you know there's a little bit more security in the midst of something where you couldn't be secure yeah, the Russian experience was very different for them. So my, my, my grandfather basically bribed Russian authorities to have my grandmother released from jail, our grandmother-in-law released from jail. He said, if if you let her out, I will, you know, I am. this is who I am and this is what I do and I will go and perform and work for you. Um, the Moscow Circus at that time was quite prestigious too and was a, was a very core part of society and culture in Moscow and very, very important. So he took on a role with the Moscow Circus. Um, life in Moscow was very different for them they had they were put up in a fabulous hotel they had as much food as they could possibly endure it they had clothing they had comfort it was an entirely different set of circumstances for them in Russia but of course they were living in a communist country and and um, the Germans uh, tensions between Germany and and Moscow were bubbling away in the background so there was there was a threat um, constantly living there but their day-to-day living conditions, being able to have food, put food on the table and have a, a warm place to sleep were quite different. Yeah, I, I'd reckon. We're with Sue Smetter. She's the author of The Freedom Circus. We're hearing this most remarkable story. We're going to be back and hear more how uh, this incredible couple ended out in Australia. And also, what are some of the learnings that Sue takes away, not just as a, a personal history from her family, but uh, an understanding of looking at the past and what we learn from the past. What do we learn from needing to share our story as well? So we'll talk to that on the way next here on 89.9 The Light. In conversation with Clayton. 89.9 The Light. You're in conversation with Clayton and Sue Smithhurst is with me. She is the author of the book, The Freedom Circus. And uh, the story is about, now let me see if I get the name right. I've got it up here. Uh, Kubush Horowitz. Is that how I say the name? Kubush Horowitz, well done, Clayton. You've got Thank it perfectly. You. <laughs> Thank you very much. Uh, and the story, if you've just joined us, uh, Sue's a grandfather-in-law who was uh, a performer in the Polish uh, circus as a clown, uh, ended up being, uh, you know, through the middle of the war, the Nazis came in, eventually fled to Russia, where we heard, um, ended up performing for those in the Russian government there. Uh, and actually, in the end, in that place, living a far better life than than where they were in Germany. But we left it sort of in that idea, Sue, that tensions were always uh, high um, and no one was ever truly safe, especially Jews during this time, as he and his wife were. Um, what ended up happening to transpire that they ended up somehow in Australia? Could you take us on that story? Well, it's, it's a long story, so I'll give you the short version, Clayton. But what ended up happening, of course, we know um, the Nazis invaded uh, the Soviet Union, Russia, Moscow too, so they fled. And they fled with a large group of people um, and ended up meeting up with what was um, then known as the Anders Army, which was a group of um, Polish army who were essentially taking refugees right across Russia. Um, they, they went on a, a journey that ended up in Africa. 
um, mostly with the Anders Army. So they were helped along the way. They were saved, uh, essentially, and moved with a, with a quite large group of refugees to a whole lot of different places. They went from place to place, right down through to Iran, and, and ended up um, seeking refuge and, and finding some refuge in Africa, where they lived for a number of years. Uh, and then came to Australia. And that was really one of the many lucky breaks that they had. Um, one of the refugee families in, living in Africa were the Redlick family, who are quite well known to um, Melburnians particularly. And the Redlicks had made passage, some of their families had made passage to Australia and said, Australia is accepting Jews, you should come here. So that was how they secured safe passage to come to, come to Australia. Uh, and they ended up arriving in Melbourne and Pop said that's, we have found our home and this is where we'll be for the rest of our lives. And he literally never did. They never, they never traveled anywhere else. Again, they settled in Australia and built their life here and described Australia always as the lucky country, the place that took them in, welcomed them. And they knew when they arrived in Australia for the first time in their lives that they were actually genuinely safe mm. and secure and they could raise their family here. Yeah, it's remarkable, isn't it, this generation? My grandfather, it's its almost like you said the exact words that he said when he came, having escaped through Yugoslavia and then through Italy and then out here uh, during the war and, and said the same thing. This is a lucky country. We're not going anywhere else. This is what it is. It was almost the same words. There's, there's an entire generation of people who um, value perhaps our country more than we value it, who ha perhaps haven't gone through that same thing. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And they, they loved Australia and they, they felt that Australia just gave them endless opportunity to, to, to make a life and, and to be secure and be safe. So they, they loved, loved Australia and the opportunity came later in life to rekindle their Polish citizenship, but, but they, they knocked it back. And amusingly, um, aside, decided to become Australian citizens, which was wonderful. And because of my grandfather-in-law's role on television, uh, he was sponsored by none other than um, Ernie Carroll, who to most Australians would be known as Aussie Ostrich. So I don't yep. think you get anything more Australian than having Aussie Ostrich sponsor your Australian citizenship. <laughs> no, no, I reckon unless, you know, 4 and 20 pies are doing the same thing <laughs> exactly. or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> Talk to us a little bit about that and, and some of those connections, because um, that whole career of being a clown did continue when it came to Australia, which is I'm assuming that connection with Ernie Carroll came. Exactly. So when they arrived, they, they settled, they, they, they built a milk bar and then they did another milk bar and they sort of set up and had this string of milk bars across Melbourne and did all sorts of things. They worked in factories, they sewed buttons. But the underlying need, I think, to entertain was always just sitting there under the surface and Pop was always an entertainer. So he was always using every opportunity, whether it was a, a synagogue or at a birthday event or whatever. Um, the clown costume came out and he entertained and he performed. So he clearly still loved that. And an opportunity came up for auditions for what was then GTV9's Tarax show, which was in a particular era in Melbourne, a very, very famous television show. A lot of Melbourne, Melbourne people will remember that show quite fondly. Uh, he went along, he auditioned and he got the role, which is absolutely amazing. And then his career on television started. So for a number of years, he performed on the Tarax show as a part of a duo known as Sloppo and Boppo the Clown, and then performed around Melbourne for until, until essentially until his retirement. Mm, there you go. Now, this story, uh, you would think, well, look, as we mentioned, you'd be talking about this, you'd be sharing about it, but it was really kept under wraps for the majority of his life and, and even his wife's life, right? Absolutely. They, they made an agreement when they arrived in Australia. The, the day that they arrived as they were literally sailing up um, the bay that it was not to be spoken about again. The past was the past. 
their attitude was no, no good comes from talking about the past. We must move on and we must look forward. And of course, this is knowing that they'd lost their families in horrendous circumstances in the Holocaust. Um, there was and they, they had lost family members as they were. And they them. had, yeah. and they had. And at that stage, they thought they'd lost all of their family members. Mm. So there was an immense sadness behind them that they didn't want to carry that weight and that burden with them. They wanted to start afresh. And that came from not talking about it, just moving on with their life and looking to the future. So they really didn't speak about it. But my grandfather-in-law did tell my husband and his cousins fairy tales. So when the, when the grandchildren went over and stayed um, and slept over and, and had time with their nan and pop, pop, as he was known to us, told them fairy tales about the clowns that, that, that made the Nazis laugh and, and all these sorts of wonderful stories. And so, and so it began to unfold in, a slight, in an organic way that we began to know what really happened, but we didn't know the full story until now. Yeah. So how did that full story start um, unraveling? Uh, what was the the spur for you to say, right, we're going to we're gonna really try and, and do this. We're going to try and put it into this book, The Freedom Circus, th- these sorts of things. What was it for you? It really was a need for my own children. Once we had our family, I really wanted my children to understand their heritage. So, you know, we'd known snippets of the story. We, we knew that there was some sadness there and we knew that there'd been um, great tragedy, but we really didn't know. We, I really wanted to know how did they get here? It's such an extraordinary journey. So when my grandmother-in-law um, was placed in a nursing home and we could see that time was starting to run out for her, I thought the conversations need to happen. We need to, you know, we need to have some, we need to get this story down for the sake of the next generation and the generation after that. They need to know their heritage. So I began t- visiting her with a little box of pictures, a little black and white box of pictures that she'd given my mother-in-law. And I would sit with Nana and say, Nana, tell me, who's in this photo here? Or who's this person? Or where were you? What were you doing in this photo? And every time she said, why do you want to know this? Why do you want to know? And there was a risk. We thought, you know, maybe it's, you know, maybe this is going to upset her talking about the past. But it became very clear very quickly that it wasn't upsetting her. She just didn't think her story was anything special because everyone she knew around her, all of the other elderly men and women in the nursing home, uh, she was in a Jewish nursing home, retirement home by that stage, they'd all suffered too. So she didn't think her story was anything really very special, which of course we know it is. Uh, so we began taking the story down initially really as a family history project, but um, after that it, it became clear that there was so much more in this story needed to be told. Yeah, and then the opportunity to travel to Poland, as you said last year, that must have been a, a a real, you know. By then, you're right into this story, and you need to you need to dig through even more. That must have been just, um, you know, every little gem you found must have been a great rejoicing. It was wonderful. We really pieced things together for us because Nana unfortunately passed away. So I felt that you know we we had some of the story, but not the whole lot. So I continued researching and and that, and that took me down a path that I really wasn't expecting. But by the, by the time we got around to, to beginning to write this, I had a lot of Poland um, and Warsaw particularly to really re, to literally retrace the footsteps that we knew and to be able to put those pieces in place. And that was an extraordinary experience. We, we found where they'd lived. We went to the jail where Nana had been held and mm. we were able to see things through her eyes and through their wow. eyes. It was wonderful. 
Just fantastic. Sue Smithhurst is my guest. She's the author of the book, The Freedom Circus. We're going to be back in just a couple of moments' time. And uh, we've got a couple more minutes with Sue. And I want to ask her specifically, what does she think we learn by looking back at the past? As we said, as we come up to Remembrance Day, it's an important day for all of us to remember what has occurred around our world. I remember the sacrifice that so many have made. What's the things that, as she's gone through this journey, uh, she is reminded to think about and to process and to, to grab a hold of what could we learn from that? That's on the way next year on 89.9 The Light. In conversation with Clayton. 89.9 The Light. You're in conversation with Clayton. Sue Smithhurst is my guest. She's the author of The Freedom Circus. We're hearing about uh, Kubush Horowitz and Mandela. No, I've got her name wrong. How do I say her name? <laughs> Manya. 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 There you go. I shouldn't have tried it. I, it. Look, if you've listened to this show for any length of time, you know that the names are not my forte as we go forward. But we're hearing the remarkable story of, uh, you know, Kubush specifically was a, a clown over in Poland. Uh, as the Nazis came in, there was a whole lot of problems for him and his family. Eventually was able to escape to Russia, performing for the Russian government there. But then when the Nazis invaded there, uh, ended up fleeing through Africa and finally arriving in Melbourne, where they said, look, this is our home now. This is what it is. And as we've been hearing, Sue, they didn't really talk about it again until well, right near the end as you've got a little bit more out of it. You've done some more research as well. And we're able to hear this incredible story. So I just want to spend a couple of minutes, if we can now, as we're you know, a couple of days away from uh, Remembrance Day and, and the importance of that and for ourselves, for our kids, for, for you know, generations generally to understand what those have gone through. Um, as you've explored this story, obviously it's a personal one, being your grandparents-in-law. But what have you learnt about it? What have you perhaps going to take into a day like Remembrance Day that you, you weren't previously? Oh, goodness, so much, Clayton. I mean, we have so much to learn from history. History, without understanding our history, I don't think we can ever truly understand our future understanding of uh, the Holocaust and, and what um, these people endured. But really, uh, I don't think I don't think I even had begun to scrape the surface of it. So I think what we learn reaching out to people, offering them a kind hand. Um, the smallest acts of kindness can change someone's life, of gratitude for the people who fought for our freedom and for the freedom of this generation who suffered so badly under, um, under the, the reign of, of Nazi terror. Mm. As we sort of talk about the following generations as well, um, you know, what do you, you share, I suppose, with your kids and those beyond that? Is it making sure we're telling stories so they understand what happened? Is it uh, learning the principles that we need to learn of how we don't hate each other? What do you think are the key things for you? Oh, gosh, there's so much. There's so many layers to it. I think we need to understand that everybody's human. I really do think that the most one of the most important things that we can understand and do is just teach the history. It is so vitally important to us. happened really one generation back for us. They happened in essentially not my lifetime, but in our in the realm of our lifetime so these are not events that that happened so far in the past that they're untouchable we could literally reach out and touch what has what has happened so we need to teach the history and we need to hear the stories we need to hear these human stories the story of my grandparents-in-law um that's just ones out there that also need to be told we're all human we're all the same. Um, we might have different beliefs. We might have different religions. And the colour of our skin might be different. But underneath, we, we all have the same heart and we, we're all very human. And that's what we need to be teaching people, um, that uh, neighbour upon neighbour, um, we, share, we share the same blood. 
and we share the same heart and humanity. So thank you so much. Um, we are getting a, a little bit of a breakup as we, we try and get to the end of our interview, but we do thank you so much for your time and for writing this book, The Freedom Circus, you know, a, a labor of love from your family, but I think the impact for so many others as they read this is going to be absolutely wonderful. So thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Clayton. So great to be with you. Sue Smith is the author of the book, The Freedom Circus here on 89.9 The Light.